Welcome to That Stack of Books, our end of the year edition. At least the end of the year with new shows. It was great to see so many of you at Town Hall December 13th. If you didn't get to come to that performance, well, here's the show. And we hope we do see you next month in January when we return to the Bryant Corner Cafe. Check out our Facebook page, That Stack of Books, with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher and Katie Sewell. Or follow us on Twitter, at That Stack, for announcements of the next recording of That Stack of Books. The list of books we talked about is available on Facebook, at That Stack of Books, with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher and Katie Sewell. Also, you can go to our homepage, thatstackofbooks.com. You'll find a list there as well. Hello. We're going to get started, and um, I have the awkward task tonight of playing two roles. One is that, oh, good evening, by the way. Um, I'm Katie Sewell. I am in this show, a longtime member of that stack of books, but I'm also Town Hall's new program director. <laughs> so <laughs> rather than bring somebody else out to do an intro, they thought, you're already there. Just do it. Um, so we are here. Uh, this is a live taping of that stack of books with Steve Scher, Nancy Pearl, and me. And the program was presented by Town Hall as a part of the Arts and Culture series with support by from, sorry, For Culture, Arts Fund, Arts Washington, the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture with media sponsorship by City Arts. And later in the show, Steve and I are gonna, we have these roving mics, so we're gonna take questions from you. So there's not gonna, if you come to Town Hall at the time, there's not gonna be any standing mics. Just put your hand up and we'll walk over. And they're gonna keep the bar open the whole time. So it is a holiday show, so feel free to go over there. Um, and as a part of the show, we're going to be recommending a lot of books, which the University Bookstore, thankfully, brought all of the ones that we're going to talk about over there, so you can buy those. And then if you want to finish your holiday shopping tonight, which I'm thinking about doing because I haven't even started, Town Hall um, is selling memberships tonight, which, um, if you know nothing about it, means that you get great seats, you get invited to all these private events, you get to meet authors other people don't get to meet. All this fun stuff um, makes a pretty good gift for people and encourages you to, you to go out on a night like this because you don't have to pay for every individual show. So now I will introduce my uh, colleagues here. Steve Scher is a writer who was the senior host and producer at KWW for 28 years. In 2014, he was the town hall scholar in residence studying the idea of home. He's also a podcaster and assuming you know about this show, that stack of books, but he also does a regular show about movies with film critic Robert Horton called The Overlook Podcast, and he also interviews scholars and luminaries for the University of Washington, and that podcast is called At Length with Steve Scherer, right? <laughs> I always add that. And Nancy Pearl is the uh, former executive director of the Washington Center for the Book and author of the 2003 bestseller, Book Lust. She is the 50th winner of the Women's National Book Association Award and the creator of the now nationally utilized program, If All Seattle Read the Same Book. And then there's me, which is the awkward part. So I'm gonna keep this brief. For 12 years, I also worked at KOW, nine of those side by side with Steve Scher, working on weekday. And now I'm also a podcaster. In fact, today I released the 93rd episode of my show, The Bittersweet Life. I have not taken a week off since it started, and it's mainly at, uh, aimed at travelers and people who were expats or are expats currently. And we also have three guests down in front, fortunate enough to welcome them. James Crosley from Island Books, Jenny Olenek from the University Bookstore, and Marilyn Dahl, editor of Shelf Awareness for Readers. Come on up, guys. I thought you were gonna wear two hats. I know, I, I should mean, have changed I outfits. Were gonna wear two hats. I know, that's true. We're gonna, um, oh, no jokes. We don't have any jokes today. Oh, yeah, story. That's true. We'll have a story. My story is a joke. And then uh, we're, gonna, uh, we're gonna bring our guests up and they're gonna talk about all the books that they've been thinking about. So uh, Katie said, well, we should think about books that we got as gifts. And I said, I don't have any stories like that. I have no story that would work in that. And of course, you always do. I started thinking about it. So uh, this is a heartwarming story. Just be ready. Um, <laughs> I, I could go that far. Uh, sixth grade, I was, uh, my uncle had died about five years earlier. And you know in sixth grade, still, 
uh, you'd get those assignments where you know find somebody in your life who was important, had a life, just write about, do a little biography, do a little study of somebody in your life. And I knew my uncle, and so when I got that assignment, I wanted to talk about my uncle. He was, he sold newspapers on the uh, on the streets of Chicago. He was a news kid in the in the twenties, uh, the Daily News and the Sun Times. And then he went to school and became a got a journalism degree. They had something that was a precursor to the AP called City 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 News, and he was a writer for City News. And then this is all in Chicago. And then he became a, a journalist and an editor. And then he decided he would become a lawyer, and he became a lawyer in media. There was a law being worked out in the 50s by Estes Kefauver, who was a senator, and my uncle worked on that, and then he got Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he died when he was way too young. So sixth grade, we had to pick somebody, and I wanted to write about my uncle in the fall. My sister had gone to school, and she came home for the holidays. She was at the University of Illinois. Southern Illinois University, rather, in Carbondale. And uh, I had written this paper about my uncle. And, and in it, you had to say, well, what, you know, what are you going to do to follow in his footsteps? Or, and I said, well, I'm going to be a writer. And that made my parents happy, and that made my sisters happy. And it was, very, it was, it was great. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was talking about. I just, well, he was a writer. I'm going to be a writer. In the 30s, he, uh, you remember the WPA did these uh, guides to states? Uh, so he edited the Illinois Guide got to work with lots of artists and writers, and then he was uh, sent to New Mexico. And, he, and for the Works project, Projects Administration, he did the New, New Mexico State Guide. So he was, he was a well-accomplished man. So my sister gave me, for, for the holidays that year, Webster's Seventh New Collegiate Dictionary. And um, she didn't sign it, she didn't write anything inside, but she wrote a card saying, you know, follow in Uncle Jack's footsteps. And so the, I have saved this book all these years. Be, and that was, the, that was my, the gift book I got. And I still remember him, and I remember my sister for doing that. Sweet. Do you use it? I did for a long time. <laughs> now we don't need dictionaries. That's we just true. have our phones. But I still have it on my desk. <laughs> so nobody ever gives me a book for Christmas or, or Hanukkah or any holiday. Um, so I've only received one book um, my entire life from somebody. And that book was um, a cookbook. And what's funny is that the person who gave it to me knows that among the other things that I gave up for a life of reading is cooking. So, <laughs> so, I, so I have no relationship with my oven or stove or, or kitchen, in fact. I'm a stranger to that room. Um, but the book she gave me was um, Renee Erickson, who, uh, you know, Boat Street Cafe and The Whale Wins and um, the Croc, what is it called? The Carpenter or something? The, the Walrus and the Carpenter. Um, and, and two new restaurants, I think, are opening up in 2016. But so she gave me her cookbook, which came out um, last year called A Boat, A Whale, and A Walrus. Um, which includes menus and stories. And I, I read it. I love the menus and stories. I look at the recipes, and then I just get exhausted. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, and I put the book down, and then I go on to something else. But I'm very grateful I have the book. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And for those of you who are, are cooks, um, I do highly recommend this book. I was noticing that, and Nancy can relate, so can Steve, we all ended up in jobs in our lives where we got free books all the time. Lots and lots of free books, 20 a day sometimes, sometimes more than that, which is in a way a dream come true, and it's also a curse where you're just like, oh gosh, I keep moving all these books around. <laughs> and the one problem with that is where it used to be a legitimate gift to go out and buy my father a book for Christmas <laughs> or my husband. Now you give them a book and they're like, oh, did you get this for free? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, <laughs> but I saved it for you. I've been holding on to it for six months. <laughs> so that's um, why I no longer give books for Christmas, although I did get a great book for free this year that I'm giving my husband. <laughs> and the other thing I was asking Nancy the other day was, is it, if, is it okay to walk around to the little free libraries and look for <laughs> gifts for people? She seemed to think it was okay. I've done that in years past when I was not doing very well financially. Why wouldn't it be okay? 
Why would it be okay? Wouldn't it be? It seems like a totally reasonable well, thing. Well, it's the same thing about not actually going out. I mean, I'm just searching for something that seems like maybe they'd find that interesting. You know, that checks off dad. <laughs> That sort of thing. Well, I think if you took a book from a little free library, you should bring a book to that little free library. Right. But other than that, the little free library itself doesn't know to what purpose you're putting a book that you, <laughs> you know, we don't have security cameras yet <laughs> on, on every corner. There's Katie Sewell again. I, I, I think that's Christmas the is coming. That's the perfect thing for a little free library, right? The whole purpose of it is to give away books and spread good books around. Mm -hmm. I think you don't have to feel bad about that. All right. What, do you, what do you guys think? It's good, right? Yeah. All right, good. I'm do going it. out tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're going to bring up our guests. We're going to circulate in the audience. Hopefully you'll have uh, a question about a reader and, and the kind of reader they are or a book that they have liked in the past. And, and that will help Nancy and our guests to come up with a good gift suggestion for that reader. So we want to make this as easy as possible so you don't have to go out in the dead of night to your closest little free library <laughs> to pick a book at random. We have people who can match whoever you want to give a gift to with a good book to give them. And as and you know when I asked our guests if they would participate tonight, I said, you know, we want you to talk about some of the, your favorite books from this year. And then based on, they all have a really wide knowledge of books from kids' books to cookbooks, um, you know, to, we'll be able to help you do at least virtually all of your holiday shopping. And then, and then we're, we're going to have a quiz. With you, great you, prizes. You will be tested. Uh, three of you, we won't, we won't make it that hard, but three of you will come up and join us on the stage. Katie has come up with some not that difficult holiday literary questions. They're difficult. Um, and grand prize is a membership at Town Hall. Second prize is Jeff Larson back there does the Bushwick Book Club. Yay. You guys know that? And they're going to be at Hugo House on the 15th performing brand new, brand new world premiere of the songs that they have written around Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So a pair of tickets for that. And then third and second and first will be. So Katie and I, you know, we, we uh, honestly, we kind of got tired of interviewing a lot of authors who always had books to give away. And, you know, we had nothing. Except that for all the years that we worked together, we would doodle. And I thought they were cool. So we started saving our doodles. And so volume one <laughs> of our radio sketches will be one of the prizes you will each get for participating. Just a few of the wonderful doodles that we collected, just a few, because there are so many more that will come out in volumes two through 20. This will give you 20. some insight into our mental workings while an interview is going on. Another incentive for you to volunteer to be on that quiz. Yes. So if we could have the, our three um, distinguished book people. So uh, James, tell us a couple of books that you really loved this year. Okay. Uh, I will start with this book called Counter Narratives by John Keane. Um, this was a year when race was in the forefront of discussion. There were a lot of great books. I know the Ta-Nehisi Coates book, um, re-release of a great old book called Oreo, a novel by Fran Ross. Uh, anyway, this was the piece of fiction that I thought was the, the most striking in this category. Uh, it's a collection of novellas and stories uh, that kind of span the history of the Americas from pre-revolutionary times to today that feels both like fantastically imaginative fiction and also a bit like a document. I mean, there were stories, one of the novellas is called Gloss, or Our Lady of the Sorrows, and it purports to be a gloss on a footnote from a, from a sort of obscure history of the early Americas. Uh, and it turns into this, I mean, it starts as this very detailed description of, uh, of the past, and then as it turns almost into a, a gothic horror tale, which I think is an appropriate mood for a story that deals with the with the era of slavery. 
uh, and anyway, that's just the beginning of the book. It goes, progresses through, the, through history uh, up to almost the present day. Uh, and like I said, it, it seemed, I mean, there were times where I stopped and I had to look up, is this real? Which part of this is real? Which part of this is not real? Uh, just a, a fantastic story. Uh, I picked it up actually because one of the blurbs on the back is from another bookseller from a great San Francisco bookstore called Green Apple Books. And so that was enough to convince me to give it a try. Uh, so that was probably, if I had a, a single favorite piece of fiction this year, this was probably it. Okay. Want to uh, tell us another one? Uh, sure. Well, there's two other pieces of nonfiction. I'm a big fiction reader, um, so it's a little odd for me to to have chosen those, but not too, too much. Um, the first one is called The Fish Ladder by Catherine Norbury. She's an English writer. And many of you probably have already heard of H's for Hawk, which won some awards and got a lot of attention this year, a great kind of memoir of, of grief and uh, you know, personal discovery and literature and history and landscape. And this is actually kind of the same thing. The writer of it um, is a mother. Uh, in the story, when it begins, she has a about a 10-year-old daughter, she's married. Um, she's also recently suffered a miscarriage, so she's kind of trying to process that. Um, she's thinking about the loss of her, uh, her own father. She's also an adoptee, and she's trying to think about her own roots. Uh, and she contrives this idea to, with her daughter, explore the sources of rivers. She's gonna trace rivers from the coast back to their source, because she's thinking of you know, fish going back to where they come from and her own history. And similarly, she's dealing with the literature that other people have written about that. She's dealing with the landscape. It's just, it's beautifully written, meditative kind of book. Um, so James, so you're thinking someone who liked H's for Hawk, which came out quite early in the year yes. and got all that publicity, yeah, would, that would be a really good book for them. Yeah, a wonderful piece of literary nonfiction. And it's set in England as well? Yes. Okay. Uh, and the other one is uh, local book, Too High and Too Steep by David Williams, um, which relates the uh, reshaping of Seattle's topography, as it says in the subtitle. Uh, it, we all know, like, the section of town that we're sitting in today, you know, parts of it were once taller, parts of it were once shorter. They did a lot of uh, reshaping of the landscape. Um, the Montlake Cut, all the various things that happened. This was a book when I picked up, I thought, oh yeah, I know this story. I know what happened here. And as I paged through it, I realized, I don't know this. I don't know the details of this. And David Williams is excellent at pinpointing where did this happen? When did this happen? How did it happen? Why? Uh, and it's amazing, actually. I mean, we're seeing Bertha and the other things that are happening here, the cranes up all over town. And he points out repeatedly in the book, the scale of the changes that are happening now are nothing compared to the changes that happened then. The, hundreds of thousands of cubic feet of dirt that were moved by just spraying water against the hillsides or just having men with shovels tear it down and dump it into the sound. And of course, at the time, nobody questioned, is there gonna be an impact to this? Um, and he's great at also pinpointing where you can go in the city now and say, look at this view. You can see this notch in the hillside. That's where this happened. Or this is the vestige of, of what went before. Uh, so really bringing the past into the present. Uh, a much more engaging book than I imagined it was going to be when I started. So anybody who's interested in local history or, you know, anybody who walks around the streets and wants to know how they got to be the way they are now. I remember when I moved to Seattle um, in 1993, someone from the library sent me, because she knew I was a bicyclist, and she sent me, um, you know, a bike guide to Puget Sound or whatever it was. And that really, you know, was a nice kind of welcome to the city. And it seems to me that if somebody's moving to Seattle, that would be an unusual gift that would introduce them to the past and present. Yeah, absolutely. There's some excellent old photographs in there, too. The cover has one of my favorites with these old, these uh, so-called spite mounds. Um, when they were uh, redoing the Denny Hill, um, and the, the, he tells the true story of this. These were always advertised to me as people who had held out, like, no, we're not going to do this. And uh, he points out in the book, no, that's not what was actually going on here. I'll leave it to the readers of the book to learn what that was really all about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, James. One of the things I think was so interesting, when, when um, James and Marilyn and Jenny sent me their lists of books that they wanted to talk about, um, there was no overlap. And 
And I think it was James who said when he saw some of the lists that he, there were books he wasn't even familiar with. And I think that's the joy of reading and the joy of getting to hear people who will bring to our attention books that we might not notice or might not be aware of. So Marilyn? Well, my first book is a novel by Michael Perry who has just written memoirs before, humorous memoirs. It's called The Jesus Cow. And it's set in a small town in Wisconsin. Um, and it's, it's what happens to the town, how the town has changed and the people are changed by a birth in a barn on Christmas Eve. <laughs> uh, so Harley Jackson, who lives in the house he grew up in on 15 deteriorating farm acres, farmland, and he has some cows, and his prize cow is named Tina Turner. The reason she's named Tina Turner is he says, respect must be paid. <laughs> so Tina Turner, on Christmas Eve, delivers a bull calf, um, black and white bull calf, and on the side of the calf is the face of Jesus Christ. And um, Harley, he's a born-again believer, but he does not drop to his knees in adoration, he looks at the cow and he says, well, that's trouble. <laughs> and so then he calls up his best friend, Billy Tripp, and Billy Tripp comes over and looks at the cow and says, get a lawyer and start printing t-shirts. <laughs> and so what happens is the, the barn, the farm, becomes a, a, site, a pilgrimage site for pe people come from all over the world. And so this is what happens to the people in the town. Um, what happens to the cow? What, hap what, what Harley does initially is he tries to cover up the, the face with shoe black, but it keeps coming off, so he can't hide the cow. But it's a, it's a lovely book. It's warm, it's funny, it's humorous. It's um, kind of an all-around gift book for anybody, unless they're a curmudgeon. <laughs> Marilyn, what was his first memoir? Because It was uh, Population 485, no, no. I think. Oh, okay, then the second one. Uh, Sorry. Truck? truck. Truck. So write down the name Michael Perry if you're not familiar with it. And if you like memoirs, um, truck is absolutely not to be missed, I, I thought. I, I liked it better than any of his other memoirs. Yeah, and I think Population 45 was about him moving to the small to town. To the small and he's town, an, He right. becomes an EMT. Right. Is that right? Yeah. But in truck, it's just, um, it's just, it's just the, in my mind, the perfect memoir. So... Go look for that. See, so Michael Perry is your all-around go-to. Yes. Um, the next book is a mystery. I'm a big mystery reader by Sharon Bolton called Little Black Lies. And one of the things that's really great about it is it's set on the Falklands. And I'm sure, I don't, has anyone been to the Falklands? Kind of hard to get to. Um, I know nothing about the Falklands. Um, and this was a great introduction. It's, a, it's a, evidently just a wild, rocky, crazy, wonderful, scary place, especially for some of the children in the book. Uh, it starts out with the disappearance of one little boy, and the police and the local people think, well, you know, this is a rough land. He could have fallen off a cliff, whatever. We can't find him. And then a second little boy disappears, and then by the time a third little boy disappears, they've decided that there's crime afoot. So then what happens is three different people confess to the crime. One is um, a woman who lost her two sons in a freak accident. One is her former best friend who caused the freak accident. And one is a returning soldier who suffers from PTSD. And then the story is told from their points of view. And they're all believable. And what, is, what really amazed me about this book, since I read so many mysteries, is I never saw the ending coming. Didn't have a clue. The ending is stunning. So if you like mysteries or you have somebody on your list who likes mysteries. Jenny? So as you can probably tell from my stack of children's books, I work in a children's book department. Kind of obvious from all the bright colors. Um, one of my favorite books this year is one of the loudest covers. Uh, it is Hamster Princess, Harriet the Invincible. Um, I looked at this cover and I thought, there is no way. I totally judged the book by the cover. It's, for those of you who can't see it, it's sparkly and pink and purple and 
just over the top glitter. And I opened it up and I read the first few pages and I could not put it down. So I read it, I finished it, I brought it back and I immediately started forcing it on everybody who came into the store who had a heartbeat. Including um, me. Including Nancy, yeah. Um, it is the first in a series, it's by Ursula Vernon, who did the Dragon Breath series, if you're familiar with that. It is a middle grade title, I should say. Um, it is about a hamster princess um, who does not like to be, is not the typical princess. She wants to go cliff diving, she wants to go dragon slaying. She wants to go off on adventures and her parents say that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but it turns out that this is a twist on Sleeping Beauty. She was cursed as a baby hamster. And when she turns 12, she will prick her paw on a hamster spinning wheel and um, fall asleep. And you know, the usual fairy curses or gifts, whatever you want to call them. Well, her parents tell her this when she's 10. So they say, you have two years until this happened and they expect her to be devastated. And she says, that is the best news I have ever had. I am invincible for two years because a curse is no good if you die before it happens. <laughs> so she takes off and she goes cliff diving and she goes dragon slaying and she just has the best time on her faithful steed who is a quail and just has a grand old time. And then she comes back and she says, okay, it's been two years, let's do this. Let's see what's gonna happen. And of course the curse goes horribly wrong and she has to end up saving the day anyways. So it's hysterical. It has jokes for kids, for adults. I think it would make a great read aloud as well as a read alone. Um, it is the first in a series. I have the second one at home. I think it comes out in March. Um, but what's also great about it is um, with sort of the, the plethora of really great graphic novels that have been coming out for kids lately as the, as the uh, industry booms, is this has some graphic qualities to it, um, much like Dragon Breath and, um, you know, with thought bubbles and everything. And some parents have been turned off by that, but I like to point out that inside the thought bubbles are like 10 point vocabulary words. So it's pretty fantastic. She uses the word, um, let's see, now I'm not gonna remember the words, but she uses really good words. <laughs> uh, but it's hysterical, it's funny, it's engaging. If you can get a boy past the cover, I think he would really like it. But the, that's the kicker, is the cover. But it's just a great book for anybody, any age and you should all buy it. <laughs> James, does that sound like a book that your five-year-old daughter would enjoy? It does, that suits her personality. Mm -hmm. I was, she can't quite read that herself yet, but she might be sitting on my lap later this year. Yeah, good. To hear it. And you're gonna get one too, right, Nancy? No, I, I, I got, took it home and read it. Oh, that's right, I did make you take it home. Yes, you did. <laughs> I was very forceful. Um, so another middle grade book, a little bit older, that I just fell in love with earlier this year when it came out, uh, is called Listen Slowly by Tana Lai. I'm probably butchering that name. She um, won the Newbery Honor and uh, the National Book Award for Inside Out and Back Again, uh, which came out a few years ago, which is a book in verse about um, a girl living in Vietnam. And this is also Vietnam-based, but completely different. It's in prose. It's about a girl who lives in Southern California. She's first generation Vietnamese American. So she's grown up with some Vietnamese culture through her parents and her grandmother, but mostly she's very Americanized. And she's looking forward to spending the summer on the beach in Southern California, spending time with her friend, wakeboarding, maybe talking to the cute boy in her class. And then she gets told by her parents quite suddenly that she's going to Vietnam with her grandmother because they found out what might have happened to her grandfather during the war a long time back long time back for her. And um, she's understandably cranky about that. Um, and what I love about this book is that her character is so real. She feels like a 13-year-old girl who maybe is a good kid, but is still 13 years old and is going to be snarky and try to you know, make everything go as quickly as possible so she can get back home and do what she wants to do. And it just it's so fresh and it just feels really accurate and really believable and accessible. Um, and what I also loved is that she goes in knowing a certain amount about her heritage, but when she gets there, you know, she's stunned by the people and the humidity and the, the way they live. And you know, there's only one internet cafe in this small town and it's still dial up and, and all these things. And I felt like having never been to Vietnam, um, I've, I've traveled to several Asian countries, but I've never been to Vietnam. 
but I felt like I was there. I felt like with her writing, it was so rich and wonderfully descriptive, but not in a way that's going to lose young readers, um, that you, you felt like you were experiencing it. You felt like you were tasting the food. Um, and eventually, she does sort of come to appreciate her heritage without losing herself, without losing her American side as well. And she sort of is this really great melting pot of an individual. Um, and it's also a beautiful story about between her and her grandmother and their wonderful relationship. And I've been babbling on and on, so that's well, a good one. Thank you, Jenny. So does anyone have any, any uh, difficult relatives that you want to get a book gift for? That you'd like a suggestion? You could you could also just you know or you could also just pretend that it's for somebody else, but you really have your yeah. own asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, asking for a friend. So I have a uh, three-year-old grandniece, and I was I'm not sure if the hamster princess would be appropriate to read to her, but I need a a, a really good one that would be a, uh, for reading to a little girl. Are you more interested in story, illustration, uh, learning concepts? I think um, story. Okay. Um, well, I did actually bring a picture book with me today. We were trying to be, to limit, let's see if I can do this without knocking over all the water. Um, Mother Bruce, depending on your three-year-old, and I am sure your three-year-old is a genius and brilliant and wonderful. Um, uh, Mother Bruce is a twist on Mother Goose. It's about a cranky bear who likes to eat eggs. Um, so of course he goes and he steals eggs from all these nests. And one day, some of the eggs hatch, and he just can't bring himself to actually eat them, the little geese. And uh, so he tries to get rid of them, but they have uh, imprinted on him, and they stick around, and he tries all these ridiculous scams to get rid of them, and they just won't go away. And it's very tongue-in-cheek, it's very clever. Um, it just came out this month, I think, just a few weeks back, so it's very, very new. But his expressions are just priceless. Um, if you wanted something a little simpler, another really great um, but quiet book that's really adorable is called uh, Strictly No Elephants. It's by local author Lisa Manchev. It's her first picture book, um, illustrated by somebody else. And it's a little boy who has this miniature elephant and it's sort of unquestioned, of course, he would have this miniature elephant. And he and his elephant are best friends, and they're going to pet club day. And they get to the door, and there's a sign that says, strictly no elephants. So they're dejected and sad. And then they run into a little girl who has a skunk. And she says, there was no sign, but they didn't want us either. And uh, so they decide, well, we have wonderful pets. We're all wonderful friends. We should start our own club. So they start a club that allows all pets of all varieties. And the illustrations are wonderful. It shows kids, like there's a kid with a bat on a leash and the bat's flying. And there's a kid with a narwhal and a goldfish bowl and a wagon. And it's, it's just very sweet. The illustrations are really lovely. And it's a you know, nice story about friendship and inclusion. And one I would recommend <clears throat> is called Bubble Trouble by Margaret Mayhe. Which is, which is just told in these wonderful rollicking rhymes about a, a girl whose younger brother, baby, uh, who's a young baby, gets caught up in a bubble and starts f floating away and what the townspeople and the girl do to get him down. It's absolutely, I, mean, I think that might be my favorite picture book of all time. And it's a tongue twister, it is. Yeah. Fantastic. Like, if you can get through that all the way with no mistakes, I will give you $100. So it is, it's fun for the parents, or for the reader as well as for the, yeah. the kid being read to. Right. That's, I think you just came up with our next, uh, our next uh, quiz the next time we do this. That's, uh, give somebody a glass of wine and say, okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, can I make a plug? Last week on that stack of books, we had a bunch of middle school librarians. And there is a list at Facebook and other places of their favorite books of the year, and there are lots of picture books. The one I'm intrigued by is The Book with No Pictures. Yes, that actually came out last year. My husband is really excited like in the audience right now because that's his favorite. Um, yeah, it's by B.J. Novak, who was on The Office. Um, so you may recognize him from there. And it is literally a picture book with no pictures. It just has very big, bright font. And it's one of those interactive books. Um, 
Like I grew up with, you know, there's a monster at the end of this book and it's interactive and you, the monster isn't, you don't want to get to the monster. So it's one of those. And um, the idea is that the reader has to read everything that's on the page because that's how a book works. So when you turn the page and it says, my best friend is a hippo named Boo Boo Butt, you have to read that and you have to read it with enthusiasm because <laughs> that's what it says on the page. And kids think it's hysterical because you say just these preposterous things and there's a sing song in there and, and it's just great because kids feel like they have the one up on you even though you're probably the one who chose the book. So it's a lot of fun. Sir. Hi, uh, there are several generations of science fiction readers in my family, myself included, but I'm thinking about my 87-year-old, highly educated father who uh, got me started on science fiction. And I don't know what he's been reading, but he really loves the science of science fiction. And I don't know if there's something new out there that... Yeah, I can, uh, I can address that. I think um, a couple of things. Uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, uh, who's famous for the Mars series, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars, uh, is always very sharp on the science in his science fiction. And his new book is called Aurora, which is about a generation starship, kind of a classic trope where, you know, if you accept that light speed is a, is a limit, it's going to take generations to get anywhere in the galaxy. Um, you know, people will be born, live, and die all aboard a starship going someplace. Um, and this is a very fresh take uh, on that. He's also excellent at the, the kind of the social ramifications of whatever it is he's dealing with. So it's not just cardboard cutout Buck Rogers figures with ray guns or anything like that. Um, also, Ian McDonald uh, has a book about uh, a lunar base called Luna, which has just come out. I haven't even finished reading that myself. But yeah, I have it in my purse right now. There you go. See, <laughs> it's there good is some so overlap. far. It's about the politics a lot, too. So it's, it's the humanity. Yeah. I mean, if, for somebody who's into actual, it's not quite hard SF, as they say, but pretty close to it, very traditional science-y science fiction. And, and also, if um, he hasn't read The Martian by Andy Weir, fabulous book. And some of you have probably seen the movie, if you haven't read the book. The book is even better than the movie. So my dad is very similar. And um, so I read a lot of science, some science fiction to try to keep up with him. Um, and one that came out this year was by Neil Stephenson, um, who is a great local sci-fi author. He has these big, hunky books. Um, and he, this year, came out with Seven Eves. And the premise is um, that there is an event that breaks the moon apart. And because of the science of how it's all eventually going to break up into pieces and rain down on Earth, uh, Earth is, an, is habitable for two years, approximately. And they won't be able to live on Earth for about 5,000 years after. So they have to figure out a way, if it's even possible, to try and save humanity and whatever other animals and creatures there are. Um, and they decide to try to use the International Space Station as a hub. And they pool all of Earth's resources for two years to try and get as many people up there as possible with all the resources they can. And then it follows the story of what happens when that event does happen. And you've got you know, 1,200, 1,500 people just trying to survive with nothing essentially, in outer space. Um, and of course, there are problems because, you know. So it's, it's really well done. It covers 5,000 years. Um, and it is about a third technical narrative. So if you're not into technical narrative, if he's not, um, I would avoid it. But it sounds like he is. And, um, and I'm not a technical narrative person, but I was intrigued enough by the characters and the events in the plot that I plowed straight through. I think it's like 850 pages. It's pretty big, but it was really well done. And if you want like a paperback for a little stocking stuffer, there's an older title and an author who still is publishing, but this is, I think, was his best book called Pandora's Star by Peter Hamilton. And it's, um, have you read it, James? It's really... Years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it came out maybe about 10 years ago, but it still holds up. I mean, it's just absolutely, um, you know, one of those big, big books that have a lot of science and a lot of, um, a lot of issues with the people involved and the science involved. And 
It's great. I, I sometimes think that one of the things I regret most about getting old is that um, I'm not going to have time to reread all of the Iris Murdoch novels that I loved so much, and I'm probably not going to have time to reread Pandora's Star because it's just too. There's just it would take way too long. <laughs> but it's great. Another question. So, okay. My my father is notoriously difficult to buy a book for, but he does uh, he does enjoy nonfiction and biographies, especially if it's kind of engaging throughout. Any uh, any picks from this last year that w might might get him going? I have one. Um, I think every year there's like a go-to book for somebody, I mean the kind of book that you can give to many different people because there's so much in it. And the book from last year was The, the Hair with Amber Eyes. I mean, it was a, that was a book I thought you, know, you, could, you could just give to pretty much anybody. This year though, I think the book is called the, I, I, not I think the book is called, I think that go-to book is um, The Oregon Trail by a man named Rinker Buck. And it's a very engaging um, account of the author's trip by covered wagon pulled by mules following the pioneers on, from St. Joseph, Missouri to basically Astoria. And it's the kind of book that if you love Bill Bryson's funny books, um, that this is, that has that same that same um, appeal, but also there's so much history in it. And what's really interesting is that you can follow um, uh, many of the things that Rinker Buck got caught up in, you know, the issues, the problems that he had are problems that the pioneers had. For example, the person who sold him the mules, Rinker Buck the mules, kind of didn't tell him the whole truth about one of those mules. and. And um, the buckboard that he, with the the covered wagon that he was, you know, riding in, broke down. And you know, to, and if you've read pioneer stories, you know all those things are true. But it's just great. Um, it's just a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, would be a great gift for anybody. Or yeah, a second, good book to read. I'd second that. That was on our our top ten favorites of the year at was Island it? Books. Yeah, it seems one of those books that seems like it might be a gimmick if you hear that description. Yeah. But it's not at all. It's so rich with the history. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. we're going to do one more before the holiday quiz. Anyone have a question? Yeah, I, I have a hard one. Hard one, Nancy. Uh, one of my closest friends is, is out in the Midwest. Uh, she was off an Iowa farm uh, during the Depression, and I became very close to her in the years I worked in conservation projects out in that part of the country. And she's 89, or yeah, 89 today. I just talked to her. But for years, she'd tell me stories about her life and really interesting life. And I sort of think of Willa Cather or my Antonia, but I'm looking for a story that would depict her life when they lost the farm and there were about seven kids. They were all had to be divided, and that was pretty typical back in those years. But um, she was a real jokester. I mean, we spent many, many hours laughing and storytelling and she had a tremendous sense of humor and one of those was a story about how the circus came around and she and her sister um, she'd get through all summer bare feet because they didn't have shoes to you know she was with her grandparents and stuff and it, it's not like little house on the prairie i mean it's got more pathos sort of balanced against this uh, and i don't know if i'd have to write this story myself or what but uh, anything like that Any anywhere well, as you were speaking, it reminded me of a book called Winter Wheat uh, by Mildred Walker, yeah. which I have heard people say, this is Willa Cather, for people who, you know, who don't know the, the, yeah. writer, the more obscure Willa Cather. Uh, I don't know if it hits all the buttons that you mentioned, but it's a story of someone growing up uh, in that farming landscape. It's a fantastic book. And the other one that I thought of was Tim Egan's The Worst Hard Time which is an account of the people who who were not Okies, who didn't leave during the Depression and the Dust Bowl, but stayed on their farms. Those are, that's a, those, I think together those would be great. Before we go to the quiz, I have a question about a book that, you know me, Nancy, I'm always attracted to natural history books. Uh, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. That was mine. What, tell me about this book. Uh, well, it's one of those 
very all-encompassing uh, science slash history books, uh, slightly like Guns, Germs, and Steel, in that the author is setting up a kind of framework for looking at the past, looking at history, and saying, what explains this? Um, so there's a bit of the biology, a bit of the neuro, neuroscience, um, and he goes back all the way into prehistory to say, why did we create the kind of cultures that we have today? Uh, why do they still persist? What are things that we do now that are still the result of, of this biology? Um, not entirely deterministic, but uh, one of the things that I think he, he says in the book is that the, the whole transition from our hunting and gathering uh, lifestyle to, to cultivation and agriculture uh, was not something that actually ended up making us happier as a people. Um, it's not something we're going to change now. It's not like he's saying, let's all go live in the woods. But uh, it's, a, it's a really striking and convincing argument that he makes, I think, using this whole range of different kinds of, uh, of studies. Well, I see that he has Jared Diamond top of the, top of the uh, cover blurbing it. Yeah, it was a book that I, as I read it, I would occasionally say, that's, wait a second. <laughs> I think maybe you've just convinced me. Um, so it's a really entertaining read as well for a, for a slightly academic book. All right. Okay. Thank you, all three of you, for coming to share your books. And like I said, they're all over there. So if you want to ask them more questions about what they brought and the ones that they didn't get to talk about, um, you can. And now we need three volunteers. Yeah, clap. <laughs> we're going to sing. Well, do you, do, you, do you three want to stay there and be on the team? Answering no, you can these. help, but we'll have no prizes for you. Yes, yes well, that's true. Oh, they can help. They can help. Okay. Well, I think that's only fair that we put you on the spot, don't you think? <laughs> okay. So, three volunteers. Three of you want to play? I feel like you want to play in the front row there. Okay. Got one. one. All right, come on up. Okay, here's Here, one over on. there. And one over there. All, All right, right, we got our three. Come on up. Okay. How are you pairing them up? Um, anyway, no. Yeah, oh, you sure. Three, the contestants you, can sit and, our, and their partner can you. stand behind. Thank are there you. team captains? Do we have to yeah, choose sides? You're, you're the team captain, though. And you, you two guys are going. And, be, you know, you can consult. Is so mics here? Now let's find out who these people are. Here. I'm Becca. I'm a student at the UW in Library and Information Sciences and Museology. Yes! So, so you're a ringer. You're a ringer. You're going to know these answers. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Here, use this. Hi, I'm, I'm Matt. Uh, I work for Seattle Public Schools. I'm an IT specialist. Yes. Woo. Wait, so that, does that make you a ringer, too, then? If you ask an IT question. Oh, fair enough. I don't have any IT questions. I'm Patricia, and I volunteer at the Friends of the Library Friends Shop, um, <laughs> which has used books. A lot of people don't know that. A hardcover, um, softcover, nonfiction and children's all the way from board books to up to uh, 13 to 18. So check it out. Thank you. Great. Wow. Okay. okay. Wait, so do we have a rule for this, though? We're going to ask a question. You and if the first, okay, go ahead. first person doesn't get it, we'll go to the next, next pair. So don't shout it out, even though you'll know the answers. And you'll say, why didn't I okay. come up here? So, so team one, team two, team three. Yes. Okay. And if team three doesn't get it, then you can shout it out. In fact, we expect you to. Um, and we're going to, I wrote these in no particular order, but I'm going to try to read the ones that I think are the easiest first. <laughs> Starting with team one down there at the end. What book begins, Marley was dead, there was no doubt whatever about that? A Christmas Carol. That's correct. One point for that. It's very Woo good. OK. Who's keeping score? I am. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, she's Thank goodness we have a scorekeeper. OK, team two. Name all of the reindeer that appeared in the night before Christmas. Whoa, really? All of them? Yeah, that's an easy one. That's not that hard. Come on. Sing the song. Yeah, that's like the seven dwarfs. Nobody ever gets that. So Dasher, Dancer, Prancer. Donner, Blitzen, Comet, Cupid. What are we at? Yeah, that's everybody. Oh, good. Wow, good job. And, and Rudolph. Not, not original. Not, yeah. Okay. Wow. 
All right. Team number three. <laughs> Old King Wenceslas went out on the feast of what? Stephen. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I have, I have a bonus question. Can I about that question? Can I ask the bonus? We'll ask the audience. We'll ask then. What day is the Feast of Stephen in the United States? Does anyone know? Yes. December 26th. That's correct. Wow. All right. Now we're Why do you it. know that? I read books. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're going to get a little harder. This one is based off a children's book, and the hint is that the answer rhymes. Okay? Mr. Willoughby's Christmas tree came by special what? Delivery? <laughs> that is correct. That wasn't that, that wasn't that hard. Yeah, that wasn't hard. That wasn't that hard? Okay. <laughs> All right, team two, who wrote a Christmas story? Think, think it's television. made into a movie. It's also on Broadway now. Oh. It's narrated by the author. I suppose it doesn't help that I can picture him in my head. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Think, think of that sled. <laughs> think of that long slide. That's just what happened in the story. I'm not giving you. I'm just ho hoping that prompts. <laughs> hoping that prompts a I feel like or, or a BB gun. The long slide into the dark night of my lock yeah. of memory here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He gave him a BB gun. He, had a, he wanted a BB gun. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. I just cannot for the life of me remember the name. All right. Okay, sorry, Are we going to move you. it over to team three? We good? Do you know the name of the person who wrote A Christmas Story? Wild guess. Henry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Capote? No. No. Do we kick it over All right, well, no, to the we'll, audience? Or we'll we take it that? to the audience, I think. Okay. Uh, just, I, heard, I heard the mumblings. Yeah, does anyone know? I didn't think that. I thought this one was pretty easy. No? I know. You know. Yeah. Close. Oh, wait, you Je knew? Gene Shepard is the name. Gene Shepard. Our humorist. Well, he knew. Oh, I know. Well, we, we, they already did their first Oh, yeah, they already did. All right, fine. All right. Here this we go. Is the, obviously, the rules here are a little, are a little they're fluid. fluid. Yeah. yeah, they're fluid. Okay. So who's, this is team three's question team now? Th are you going to go back? No, it comes back to All her. Right. Okay. It's going to be a cumulative points. Yeah. No elimination. No. No elimination. It's who gets. Okay. Just getting Very good. Complicated. That would be cool. All right. According, Especially on the eve of a holiday. According to a German Christmas legend, when spiders crawling all over a Christmas tree made the branches dingy with cobwebs, Santa Claus turned those webs into what shiny object so the children wouldn't be devastated? W would not be devastated? Yeah. Is it tinsel? Yes. That's correct. Wow. <laughs> that was a good one. What, what's that from? It's a Joel German legend. I have a spider on my Christmas tree for that reason, actually. Uh, ornament, not a real one. Um, <laughs> what does the husband give, his, give to his wife in O. Henry's short story, The Gift of the Magi? Uh, a, is it okay if I answer? It's a comb. That's correct. Wow, good. Wait, do you have the bonus question for the audience? What, what did she give the husband? That's correct. <laughs> All right, team three. What book were the March girls given Christmas morning in the book Little Women? Mm. Undine and Sintra. No, sorry. Did you just make uh, those words up? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something they, characters, they do read. They do read it. It's a Bible. They each get Bibles. Yeah. Okay. Well, this, well, what about the <clears throat> what about a bonus one? The first line of Little Women. Mm. That's true. It's Christmas oriented. You don't know <laughs> nobody. What is it? I believe it's Christmas won't be Christmas without presents. That's correct. Oh, is that one of the questions? No. Oh, phew. But I do know. <laughs> I just read that book this year. Okay. Okay. This one's a little bit of a trick question, so be careful. In the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, how many different types of birds are mentioned? Holy cow. Do not, we have time to not think? Not total number of birds, but types, different kinds of birds. This is, this is where we should be playing a little music while they do some math. <laughs> no, they don't have to do math. There's no math. Six. That's very close. Not... 
This is why it's a trick question, and I should have you guys vote if they should get it for six. There's technically seven, but the five gold rings refer to a pheasant. No. It's true. Look it up. No. I have a stuffed pheasant. That, that question's that a ringer. <laughs> so do we want to give it to them for six? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is a nice crowd. <laughs> okay. Wait. That's what the everything I've ever seen interpreted about that song shows a somebody ring. with five gold rings. I know, and they're wrong. If you like, <laughs> uh, you know what? As I used to say to you, look it up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, name one, just one of the many gifts that Santa Claus gives to Peter, Susan, and Lucy in C.S. Lewis's *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Is he the one who gives them their, their various weapons of special... Do you, do you know? Special powers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lucy gets a vial, a healing vial. I think her sister gets a bow, an arrow. Um, I think Henry gets a sword. Peter. Peter. Peter gets a sword. And I can't remember the last one. Shield? Is That's, it a shield? There's a shield and there's one other object. It's a horn that can call the oh. masses to help Yes. Very but good. They only needed one. They only needed one. That's, uh... That was very good. Okay. All right. Um, I'm trying to save the really hard ones for last. The Santa Land Diaries. No, we're, I'm, I'm keeping track. The Santa Land Diaries tells what it's like to work as an elf with, in, a, in a department store with Santa. What story, what author wrote that story and later recorded it for NPR? David Sedaris. That's correct. Yay. All right. This may be our last round. Okay. Well, I have, I have one tie-breaking question, if, should we need it. Okay. Which one should I save for that one? Um, okay. Okay, this one, this one is hard. <laughs> In fact, nobody I've asked, I knew this one, but nobody I've asked has known this one, so I'm, I'm sorry. What newspaper man created the modern-day image of the jolly, fat Santa Claus wearing a red suit? Thomas Nast. Correct. Hey, wow. you guys are killing it. Wow. Okay, for you guys, this is another hard one. Who wrote The Night Before Christmas? I know it was a father writing it for his children. That's correct. Do I get like partial points? Um, no. Hold on, I stare at this book for like two months of the year and the name is there and I can't. Um, I'm sorry, I'm failing you. It's a tough one, do you guys know? Clement Moore. That's correct. Clement Clark Moore. He was a um, a minister. I don't think he wrote not. it. <laughs> you don't there's think a, wrote there's it? a literary uh, scholar who has a fairly convincing theory that he took credit for it years later hmm. because his whole Moore's whole history of writing is very bleak, boring religious <laughs> tracts, and uh, he has no humorous poetry in his oeuvre. And there's, there's another I'm still going to give it to you, though. For no, that, no there, that's right. That's the standard. But there's a, it, it's a really interesting read. Who's the other Don, guy? Don Foster is the scholar who wrote about this. There's a guy who lived in upstate New York who was apparently a, a wonderful family man and a really jovial fellow who wrote a lot of kids' poetry that he published in New York papers anonymously. And it was only years after that guy's death that, the name, that Clement Moore took credit for it. Has that been proven? I mean, is that scholar... Yeah. Done any that's definitive the work? Total I love that story. story of the it's one a I know. good story. Well, I, don't, I think others are, are less convinced, yeah. but I believe it. So that's the end of the official round. Where are we standing right now? Okay, team one, five points. Team two, three points. Team three, three points. So we have a winner at the end there in team one. <laughs> and we have to do a tiebreaker between team two and team three to see who's in second place. Very exciting. I have two questions. I'm, I'm very excited by this, Katie. I know. <laughs> you have right. just two questions? Just two questions, I think Wow. So. Okay. Just two questions left. So, so we'll... folks will have to make up questions from the audience if they get these right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. What famous fantasy author wrote and later published a series of letters to his children from Father Christmas? How many tries do we get? <laughs> One, and then it goes to them. Oh, I see. Um, Epic fantasy say, writer. I'll add I want to say C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. That's incorrect. Tolkien. Say it again. Tolkien. That's correct. Oh, Team three. Wow. Yeah. 
That's okay. great. All right, team three is our second place winner. Congratulations. <laughs> Katie like spends her days coming up with very difficult questions <laughs> to stump people. These, these were not easy. No, they weren't easy. You no, guys did a great did, job. You did great. All right, so, so these guys get uh, uh, town, town hall. hall. Well, you don't. You were just, <laughs> I, it was just very good for you to be here. You get a town hall membership. Plus, plus a copy of our, of our book, Radio Sketches, <laughs> which I'm very proud to be able to give you. I'm going to hand it to you. It's going to be like an award. Awesome. Uh, Jeff Larson's no. Bush. No, no, no. Oh, no. Jeff, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I got your hopes up. Jeff Larson's Bushwick Book Club, January 15th. Come talk to him. He's going to give you a pair of tickets to uh, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And wow. then you're going to do all the other... Douglas Adams books if they succeed, if this one succeeds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and a copy of Radio Sketches by Katie Sewell and Steve Schiff. <laughs> and you luckily get a copy of Radio Sketches by Katie Sewell and Steve Schiff. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all for coming. Do check out that children's book podcast from last week if you need some more suggestions for uh, reads for young kids. And for middle schoolers, because there's a lot of books those librarians offered. And I think our, our, um, our guests, book, book people, will be around for a couple more minutes at least. So come talk to them and, and go take look a at those look books. at the books. Thank you for Thank coming. Thank you guys for coming. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to that show. It was a lot of fun to be at Town Hall again with all of you. And it was, I must admit, fun to give away. Radio Sketches by Steve Sher and Katie Sewell. Even though it is a very short book, it is full of memories from when we worked together on the radio. You can find that, by the way, on Amazon, Radio Sketches by Steve Sher and Katie Sewell. We will be back at the Brian Corner Cafe in January. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at That Stack, or on Facebook, That Stack of Books, with Nancy Pearl and Steve Sher and Katie Sewell. And you can always find us at thatstackofbooks.com. The list of books we talked about is available on Facebook at That Stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Share and Katie Sewell. Also, you can go to our homepage, thatstackofbooks.com. You'll find a list there as well. Thank you very much for listening this year. We will see you in 2016.